Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late to transportation. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. All right, it's Employee of the Month. Podcast time. I'm excited. On this show, we have David Crabb, whose um, new book out, Bad Kid, is about being a really bad kid who did a lot of drugs when he was younger, something you would know nothing about. Cool. Sounds like a good role model. <laughs> and something you would know a lot about. But it is fantastic. He's also a moth um, both teacher and Story Slam winner. He's been on the moth main stage so many times that he's become a permanent part of their staff. So if you listen to the moth or go to see storytelling events, he is someone you need to check out. And uh, you'll see why he's so thoughtful. And also you can see his show live um, at Axis Theater where he performs. And I think he tours as well. Here's David Crabb. If you are a fan of storytelling, if you are a fan of reading, um, if you have a fan of, of just like humor and joy, this will be the perfect interview to listen to. Without any more nonsense on my part, here is the wonderful um, David Crabb. David Crabb, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I like being a serious something. You call me a serious actor. You were a like serious that. actor. I you was, were- I meant it. You were part of Axis Theater. I mean, let's let's actually start a little bit earlier because I believe that you were um, studying art in college as yeah, well. I, yeah, I studied uh, uh, photography and video art at Cranbrook Academy of Art, which is uh, outside Detroit. It's a very bizarre art grad school experience. Yeah. Now it's like a, a haven for artists, and it's like advertising. Like if you come here. Oh, Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the thing about Cranbrook is that I tell everyone I lived in Detroit, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" But Everyone at Cranbrook were really kind of lying. We live like 35, 40 minutes outside Detroit in this beautiful um, manicured grounds that also is the home of to um, a beautiful museum. Uh, and Saarinen, who designed the gorgeous chairs, like that's where he's based out of. There's like a security gate. Like it is so not Detroit. Like the next door neighbor is Aretha Franklin. She like owns that whole block of mansions for her and her cousins and whatnot. Can I just tell you one quick Aretha Franklin story? Oh, please. I was, um, I got a ticket to go see her, snuck into the front row, and then I like accosted her, I, excuse me, I went up very thoughtfully, no, I accosted her driver, like I was just like, oh my God, I'm so in love with her. And um, he let me know, this was after the show, and he was like, he let me know where the after party was, and so I like went to the after party, and it was like her, Al Sharpton, and like all oh of these God. major black leaders, and I was like, one of us does not belong in this room. So I like, probably <laughs> walked out, but I, I put a little note in her pocketbook before I left, and it said, you do wonders for my love life. And I didn't, didn't sign anything else, but just said that, you know, and thank you. Aretha, now you know. Now you know. Remember to, to like everything on Facebook <laughs> and send Katie a cute, a cute note. Why don't you let Katie know what <laughs> she did for your love life? But I felt like it was the true way to be a fan, which was not to make it about me. I didn't I know that, sign it. I know it. that feeling exactly what you're talking you know? about. Like, I don't want anything. I just need them to know. I needed her. But I've, a, I have approached slash attacked celebrities with that mindset, and it's a slippery slope. Like, the first 15 seconds are like, 
I don't need anything from you. I just want you to know, like, almost like I'm gonna come at you like another artist in your field. Well, you are. You are the peers. But then 20 seconds later, you're like, I remember when <laughs> you made your first. I mean, I mean, I I become a geek. I'm a horrible geek. <laughs> um. So you were in Detroit doing art mm-hmm. as a as a geek. <clears throat> yeah. Um. As someone who's true to his feelings, and and um. <laughs> and when did you m- come here to New York? I moved here in '99. Um. And I knew exactly, I think when you come to New York, you have to have a sense of purpose. Uh, And even then everything can, you know, go pear-shaped, but... um, What do you mean by that, that you have to have a sense of purpose? Well, I know people that move here just to see how it goes and they leave. And I feel like most of the people I know that live here effectively, uh, I would say happily, but let's just say effectively, they came here knowing at least a ballpark, like what they wanted to do. And then I have those few friends that moved here because they thought it would be fun. And now they make like six figures working at a network. Do you know what I mean? So, so but, what does effectively but that's rare. Then mean? So then what does effectively mean? Like, I think you have to have your mind, you have to know, like, like, are you moving here to work in a field? Like, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily what you end up doing, but that's why you stay. Like I, I moved here because I was going to uh, be a, a visual installation and performance artist. Um, and I did, uh, I moved here and I got a job um, through my professor at grad school uh, in a gallery in Chelsea. Um, I was the assistant preparator. My boss was a retired club kid named Wallpaper, um, real person. Uh, and then my other job was I became a catalog designer at J. Crew. Um, so I worked around the clock my first year here thinking that I was working towards something I wanted to do. And it took like a year and a half to realize like, I don't really know if I want to, you know, I didn't really like the gallery scene. I definitely didn't enjoy like aligning khakis and cork all day uh, for the J. Crew catalog. Um, and after two summers, my uh, professor from grad school called me and he was like, do you want to go up to Connecticut and live in the woods with a bunch of like 14, 15, 16 year olds teaching them photography at an arts camp? And I was like, sign me up. And I quit my jobs and I went. And I think that when I came back from that experience is when I was like, oh, I know why I'm, new- why I'm in New York. I just had like a, a stronger, ironically, it took like a bunch of like 15 year old kids to be like, oh, that's what joy feels like when you're doing something you care about and you love. So then I came back and I was a high functioning alcoholic um, nice. who dabbled in art for a few years. And then I really started my New York uh, experience. Slowly got into improv and then acting and then storytelling and then the solo show and now writing. Awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about. Um, your transition from acting to storytelling, because I met when I met you, you were mm-hmm. an actor, mm-hmm. and you hadn't yet branched out into storytelling. Mm-mm. So, so tell me like how you made that transition, because now you're one of the leading storytellers in the country, and um, you know also a good teacher. We'll talk about that as well. That you're actually really good at teaching in addition to telling. You know, uh, I guess it's sort of it. It happened. Well, you know. It happened, it was a multi-pronged kind of thing that happened all at once. I, you know, I got into acting because I enjoyed improv. And the thing I liked about improv is that even though it's fictional, you really get to bring, like, who you are to the table. And a lot of actors would argue, well, even though it's scripted and I'm playing a fictional character, I'm still bringing who I am. And I get that, and I enjoyed that. But I guess at a certain point, I was doing stage acting in the city for several years and, you know, do little commercials and web series and things like that. But... You know, my whole life I've been told by people like, oh, you know, I mean, everyone gets this. Like, oh, you know, Katie, you have to tell the story about the thing that happened with the blah, blah, blah. 
And I would always, always get that. And I loved, I don't know if it's being from Texas. I was surrounded by people like telling, you know, these very like Southern stories my whole life. And I was like, I really want to do that. So in a way I'd always been telling stories, but it took, um, it took uh, looking up a class to take that made me, basically, uh, Cami, you know, Cami Klamako. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cami Klamako is an amazing storyteller and she's uh, my co-host and producer of a show that's on hiatus right now called Ask Me Stories. Um, we went to Cranbrook together at art school. We wanted to do stand-up. We looked up stand-up classes and were mortified. I was like, I don't want to do what any of these people are doing. I love some, I mean, I love a lot of stand-up, but there was a lot of yucca yucca. Just, ugh, I didn't want to do that. And I found a storytelling class with Kevin Allison. Um, so we signed up, uh, Kevin Allison, uh, was in the state and he runs the risk podcast, which is incredible. And that was kind of the gateway. I started doing risk. Um, Edgar Oliver, a acclaimed storyteller, who's kind of like a Southern Vincent Price. He speaks like this. He's what? How does he speak like that? Uh, you know, question mark. Um, <laughs> he, uh, no, no, I, I worked with Edgar as an actor at Access Theater for many years and I mean, he does, you know, I, I, I don't want to like mock him, but he has, it's a very resonant voice. It seems sort of, I want to say British, but also sort of like early American theater, you know? And he's from Savannah, Georgia, which is so like, really? That's how they talk in Savannah, Georgia? And then you meet a sister and she speaks, to, they speak just the same. It's really incredible. Um, I want to just apologize to anyone who's hearing the wonderful beeping. And I just want you guys to know that you too can live in Brooklyn for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm really surprised that we can hear that horn from the top of the Time Warner Center. That's true. I apologize. We're not in Brooklyn. Yeah. No, but, 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 you know, um, Edgar is um, a much respected storyteller uh, in the moth community. And that was the first time I heard of the moth. I didn't even know what it meant. And then um, I started going to slams and really, uh, really enjoyed it because, you know, we live in New York. I think a lot of people think storytelling is about this is my time on stage and I get to talk. And, you know, I'm an ego... I mean, every storyteller to an extent is some sort of ego monster. But there's also something so nice about just going to a place where you can hear people uninterrupted for six or seven or eight minutes. And that was the first time in New York I experienced that. Even if I didn't put my name in, I could go to this two-and-a-half-hour storytelling slam, which is what the moth is, and just sit and hear people, like tell their stories uninterrupted and it's it was an amazing I, I immediately became kind of a groupie and started telling stories there and everywhere else I could I want to um also bring up the fact that you happen to be a really good teacher and I say happen because I feel like there are a lot of actors who become teachers who are not necessarily good and I've, I've had my share of great 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 teachers in and outside of academia and um, it is a mixed bag when you sign up for a class for storytelling or improv or stand up and you you don't really know just because that person's really good at what they do. And that, that is true for physics. You know what I mean? Like just because they're really good at doing it doesn't mean that they're going to be necessarily good at teaching it. However, you are a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Is that how you make most of your living now is by teaching? Do you still want to do that even though you're having so much success? Will you continue to teach? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love teaching. I love speaking about storytelling. Um, you know, teaching, this is, this is a strange thing. Teaching reminds me that, give me a minute. Teaching reminds me why storytelling is important, but it also reminds me that my experience isn't really that special which I think is a good thing to be reminded of. Um, 
You know, there are so many people with so many experiences in the world, and we always talk about stakes, right? Like, why should, you know, why is someone talking about their horrible date when this person over here just, you know, lost their family in a bus crash, whatever, right? And I, I hate hearing when people speak about storytelling that way, as if there are certain stories that just aren't important in the world. I mean, that's like, that's why living is a beautiful thing, right? Like, I want to hear about the bad date, and I want to hear that person deal with all their problems. I mean, maybe I can get some life experience or learn something myself, but... I tell stories that run the gamut from really deep and personal th personal things. You know, the stakes are high on the page. They're about loss or, you know, getting mugged at gunpoint or what have you. And then I tell stories about, like, I had to kiss this girl when I was 16. It was really scary, right? But when I teach storytelling, I am reminded of that thing I try to remind myself. And I'm reminded by other people. I'm not just trying to, you know, and this is such a selfish way. I mean, th I feel great about teaching people and connecting with them, but being able to go and teach a storytelling class at a comedy school and then three days later go and mentor like with the Wounded Warriors Project where like vets and caregivers are coming in and talking about their daily challenges and what it was like literally running from bullets, you know, in a, in a foreign place. It, it reminds me, it reminds me that my own experiences don't matter and that sounds so negative i'm trying to frame it, it in a way from a very zen perspective though i think i think you mean it that we all matter equally and therefore like it yeah can we just say what you said yeah uh yeah it does it it, it remind it reminds me that that we're all we're all on the same playing field you know we all have our experiences no one is more or less important than anyone else and um it makes me feel a little bit freer to share certain stories in a personal way because I feel like, my God, if these people can do this. I mean, people have shared things with me in these classes that have, I mean, I'm haunted by some stories and certain stories still like make me like snicker. I'll be on the train, I'll be having a I crap loved, day. That's my favorite, when you laugh to yourself and you're like on a bus and like everyone's yeah. like looking around and you're like, I'm sorry, I just was yeah. thinking about my friend screaming, pick your nose, pick yep. your nose. I, I also just want to add that I want to encourage people, listeners, to go out and tell your stories, get them down, and you will find in the process of writing them and telling them whether they're therapeutic, but the only way you're going to make them into good stories is to keep practicing. So write them, tell them, take classes. It is the last bastion of freaks and geeks. If you just approach it as, I want to... I want to share something that I think is going to resonate with other people. Mm -hmm. um, if you have that in the back of your mind, you will get better and better and better. I do believe that. Does that yeah. resonate oh, yes. to you? Yeah, and the thing I like about storytelling more than a lot of other endeavors right now from a performance perspective, like you know, um, you know, scripted acting or stand-up, is that like storytelling, when I teach storytelling, my job is just to make you the most you. Not to make you funny, not to make you serious, not to make you this or that. My job is to make you feel and seem like you are telling a story to the person you trust most in the whole world. And when you see someone who either felt like they couldn't do that in front of people, they couldn't write that experience, they couldn't perform that experience, um, you know, they couldn't look at people's eyes in like a small club, when you see them conquer that and do that, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. And you can feel when it's amazing um, for them too. And it's, yeah, it's great. Um, davidcrab.net. I want to make sure that everyone goes there and not to davidcrab.com. They both work. Is that right? I bought them both. Okay. davidcrab.net or davidcrab.com. You can go to both of these places to find out. Um, David is touring the country right now, sharing his book. If you want him to come to your city, um, you can find him at davidcrab.net or davidcrab.com. And you can also check out Bad Kid, a memoir. It's from Harper Perennial, and it is a, a really fun ride. 
And it's a safer way to do drugs, although probably not as fun. Yeah, someone actually reviewed it on Amazon not long ago, and they were like, I felt like I got high reading it. What are these pages made of? And I was like, just acid. Bye. Great work. You really enjoyed the show? Absolutely. <laughs> I like all of your voices. I, it makes me feel like I want to do voices. Um, thank you to Jelly D. Thank you to Ian Mazoff. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please continue to check out the show, and you can check me out at, at Katie Lazarus. And what about you, Jelly D? You can check me out at, at Jelly D on the Twits. And also at meetaninmate.com. You can also find him there. Thank you all for listening, and can't wait to talk to you at the next episode. We have so many more coming up, so please stay tuned. <laughs>